0: In her book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, journalist Ellen Vaughn retells a gripping story of how the gospel came to a small village in Cambodia. In September of 1999, Pastor Tui Seng, which is not his real name, traveled to Kampong Thom province in northern Cambodia. Throughout that isolated area, most villagers had cast their lot with Buddhism or spiritism. Christianity was virtually unheard of. But much to Sang's surprise, when he arrived in one small rural village, the people warmly embraced him and his message about Jesus. When he asked the villagers about their openness to the gospel, an older woman shuffled forward, bowed her her head and grasped his hands. She said, we have been waiting for you for 20 years. And then she told him the story of the mysterious God who had hung on the cross. It was the 1970s. The Khmer Rouge, the brutal communist-led regime, took over Cambodia, destroying everything in its path. When the soldiers finally descended on this rural northern village in 1979, they immediately rounded up the villagers and forced them to start digging their own graves. After the villagers had finished digging, they prepared themselves to die, and some were screaming out to all kinds of deities. Others screamed to demon spirits or even to their ancestors. But one of the women started to cry for help based on a childhood memory, a story that her mother told her about a God who had hung on a cross. So the woman prayed to that unknown God on the cross. Surely if this God had known suffering, he would have compassion on them. Suddenly her solitary cry became just one great wail as the entire village started praying to the God who had suffered, the God who had hung on a cross. As they continued facing their graves, the wailing slowly turned into quiet crying. There was an eerie silence. And slowly as they dared to turn around and face their captors, they discovered that the soldiers were gone. So as the old woman finished telling this story to Pastor Sang, she said that ever since that day from 20 years ago, the villagers had been waiting, waiting for someone to come and share the rest of the story about God who hung on the cross. In the season of Lent, as we walk the disciplines of the wilderness with Jesus, it's appropriate that we consider where we're headed. We're not just wandering after all, thankfully. We're bound for the joys of Easter. Yes, but before that, we walk the path of suffering. We go to the cross. We see Jesus crucified. We witness firsthand the God who hung on the cross. This is not a popular reality. (laughs) And in many ways, the church has steered away from it. We don't want to embrace the cross of Christ and our own cross, which accompanies it. Yet the life of God in us depends on that very thing. Last week, we, be, we began to consider the cross, didn't we? We were talking about Jesus' invitation to follow him. And this Sunday as Paul, and the, the uh, New Testament reading begins to look at how he's going to lead a struggling church. We look again to the cross, and we look a little more closely. What, what do we want to say about the cross of Jesus Christ? I mean, thinking about it, the image, the image of the cross is everywhere in popular culture, isn't it? It's Um, In jewelry. It's on tattoos. (laughs) We even saw it on January 6th at the Capitol. It's behind me as I preach. Certainly in Lent, in this particular year, it's something I think we want to relate to as it touches on our own suffering and struggle and our own questions. There's a primacy about the cross and the Gospels that is vital. And in many ways, the Gospel narratives have as their focus the need to explain the cross. How is it that Jesus came to live among us and serve and die? It's a big question. There is a work that Christ accomplished on the cross, and we cannot journey to God's kingdom around it. But only by going through it and embracing it, even as we admit we can't fully understand it. The cross of Jesus is not a popular spiritual teaching in our age, and it wasn't popular in the early years of the church either. You can't read the Gospels or Paul or other New Testament writers without seeing them constantly drawing the reader back over and over again to the cross, urging them to consider it, calling them to live a life that's shaped by the reality of the cross. A significant book in our own time in this regard is Fleming Rutledge's volume titled Crucifixion. Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ. It's a masterpiece. It took her many, many years to write. And she reflects that it was actually her first assignment as an Episcopal priest back in 1981 that had a lasting influence on her in this regard. She arrived at Grace Episcopal Church in New York City, brand new clergy person. And that church was enjoying a real vibrant, youthful uh, renewal and and really revival thanks to the consistent preaching on the cross that had been offered in the 1970s by the church's rector, Christopher Fitzsimmons Allison. Now, (laughs) won't surprise Debbie, Fitz was actually a friend of mine later. I got to know Fitz. And he was instrumental in the founding of the Anglican mission of which this church was a part. So in a way, I see our connection to his life of preaching around the cross as really important to our own journey. And in her book, Rutledge declares this as sort of a a summary statement. She says, Crucifixion is the touchstone of Christian authenticity, the unique feature by which everything else, including the resurrection, is is given its true significance. I'll read it again. Crucifixion is the touchstone of Christian authenticity, the unique feature by which everything else, including the resurrection, is given its true significance. Now, in just a few minutes on a Sunday morning, and it will be just a few minutes, we're limited in the treatment that we can give to this topic. It's so rich, so full. It's seen 2,000 years of development and debate. But we can say a few things, and we need to. It's important that we not neglect the cross. This is the purpose of the incarnation. It's why Jesus came to be with us, why God came to us in Jesus. Many would encourage us today to just look at Jesus' life and then look at the resurrection. But how can we do that without the cross itself? And also, everything in the life of Jesus is related to the cross. The way he lived, the way he interacted with others, his healing, his teaching. Calvary is not a last-minute failure. It's not a miscalculation. It's the thing to which everything in the life of Jesus points. His life was shaped by the cross long before Holy Week. And ours is to be shaped in that regard as well. Self-giving, totally devoted to God, surrendered beyond all personal considerations. We call that, uh, some have called it cruciform living. In other words, living in the shape of the cross, led by the cross. There's a lot of theology here and many different ways of looking at what actually happened on the cross. It was the holiness and the mercy of God both on display. It was Jesus Christ in our place, in Adam's place. It was judgment on sin, personal and cosmic. It was God's victory over evil and death. It was God acting in love on our behalf. Many ways of looking at it, and, and I think making room for the variety of interpretations is important because scripture talks about it in a variety of ways. But St. Ambrose, in the end, helps us in that he declares the cross to be a mystery. He said it's more crucial to know that we are saved by the cross than precisely how. Karl Barth summarizes, it's God putting himself in the place of humanity A sheer act of grace. It is this inconceivable miracle which is our reconciliation. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church that the cross is the place of unity and reconciliation for us. Now, you may know the church in Corinth is kind of a mess, right? I mean, you've done Bible studies on this, we know this. They have so many gifts. I mean, Paul opens his letter by just saying, you're you're blessed, you have so many gifts, you have so much before you, you're already blessed by God, and yet they're divided by practice, they're divided by difference, they're divided by economics, they're divided socially, they're probably divided uh, in terms of ethnicity. They're basically in camps looking to various human leaders, and it's tearing them apart. Paul appeals to them on the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to read a little bit. Um, I'm going to back up just before our passage and kind of read into it. We did this last week as well. We, sometimes we just need to do this. This is beginning at verse 10. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say you were baptized into my name. Ah, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then he goes on to say the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Often we follow certain leaders Often we do follow certain ways of thinking and we claim it as wisdom. Paul is clear that it's not wisdom unless it's rooted in the cross of Jesus. That is the true wisdom that the world rejects. Whatever our issues, whatever is driving us, our politics, our social understanding, our worldviews, where are they in relationship to what Jesus has accomplished on the cross? This is where we must begin. And all allegiances must be surrendered there. In the cross, we see enacted the Magnificat of Mary, where empire is brought low and the lowly are raised up. We are reconciled to God and to one another. Our unity in the church, our mission to the world are found here on the cross. And they're affirmed in the resurrection, which is God's great yes to what the cross means. The cross is the great unifier. It is the place of ultimate healing. And we journey there from our various places and positions, open to seeing how it cuts across difference and division. I want to give you some examples of this, because I think it's important for us sometimes to to hear other voices uh, that relate to the things that are so important for us. For instance, James Cone relates the cross to the lynching tree. He said both were public spectacles, shameful events, instruments of punishment reserved for the most despised people in society. Any genuine theology, any genuine preaching of the Christian gospel, must be measured against the test of the scandal of the cross. Robert Chao Romero claims that the cross is also very important to the Brown Church, that is, the Hispanic Church, because without it, he says, the good news would not be possible. He writes this, On the cross, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, paid the price for your sins and mine, and for the sins of the whole world, including my personal sins and the sins of empire. South Asian writer Anusha Atakarola says that the cross, she says this about the cross, life doesn't always go our way. But one thing we know and can stand upon, Jesus has burst open the gates of life, so we look ahead with great joy. The story of God is one of hope, promise, and life eternal. See, these are different perspectives, coming from different places, insights we can learn from along with others, down through the history of the church and in our own time. Yet we must know there are not multiple crosses. There is just one cross of Jesus Christ. One place for the healing of our separation. One place for us to be made whole. It is the place of foolishness that is wiser than human wisdom and weakness that is stronger than human strength. For the disciple, you and me, it's a place of humility. It's a place of relinquishment, as we mentioned last week. It's the place where we own our pain in order to bring it home, as Henri Nouwen often talked about. Because Jesus has transformed the cross into a place where suffering is not empty or without purpose. Writing from prison, Paul told the Philippians that he wanted to know Christ not only in his resurrection, but also in the sharing of his sufferings. Becoming like him in death, he said, because that's the way to true life, true wisdom. Sometimes we want to cleanse the temple. We want to deal with injustice. And that's a good thing, and there's plenty of it around. But are we willing to go to the cross and be emptied of all that is self, all that is impure in our motives, all that keeps us from loving God fully, loving neighbor as myself, or even loving my enemy? As we hear that passage read today and Jesus is cleansing the temple and then he mentions his own death and his resurrection, those things are tied, his cleansing of the temple is tied to the cross and the work of the cross. So I want to offer something a little practical here at the end <laughs> because you know talking about the cross can seem really uh, either distant or a little academic, a little theological. So here's something to maybe remember as, as we wrap up. Louise Penny is a Canadian mystery writer. She writes crime fiction, I mean. And her detective is Armand Gamache of the Sûreté du Québec. And he's sort of an interesting type of policeman because he's drawn to people and their stories and their motivations. He's a listener. He believes things that others actually hold as unfashionable, that light will banish shadow, that kindness can banish cruelty, and that goodness exists, even the most desperate places. Now, it's interesting in the stories how this develops, but if you want to work with him, if you're a young detective and you want to work with him as as a mentor, you are encouraged to learn the four sayings that lead to wisdom. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know. I need help. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know. I need help. He also shares advice that he learned as a young man. He says, before speaking, you might want to ask yourself three questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Does it need to be said? Now, I don't know anything about the author's personal life or her beliefs, but I think there's something of the cross in this, whether she knows it or not. As we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and embrace it, And seek to be healed. These might be some good practical things to consider. Things we want to be willing to say to one another. So we're on this journey of the cross throughout this season. It will become a journey of resurrection. But right now we continue to walk this way each week. And I I commend it to us and, and to myself that we would, Come and kneel at the foot of the cross and let it change us. Let it heal us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.